Well, for those of you who don't know me, there's probably a few of you that don't. I'm Jamie. I am one of the pastors uh, on staff here. Uh, I came on staff this summer, and before that, we were one of the missionaries sent from this fellowship, so we, we served overseas eight and a half years in Costa Rica. We came back in May, and I've had the, the blessing and the privilege to be here and to be with you guys. Um, one of the things that I loved about pastoring a church, pastoring down there, was, was always teaching through a book of the Bible. If you guys have been here for any length of time, you know that's kind of that's what happens here, right? We, we work our way through a book of the Bible. And I've always liked that. I like the challenge of it. And I've always find every time, like, as I would, like, begin to look and the Lord would lay a book of the Bible on my heart and I'd be all excited about it. And then you always forget about that one thing that's in that book. You're like, oh, no, I'm going to have to tackle this. And I love that. It's a great challenge. It's a great challenge to have to work through that. And so, as I talked with, with Pastor Troy, and the Lord has laid on my heart that in the opportunities that I have uh, when I will be here, what we're going to do is we're going to actually work our way through the book of Colossians. So, um, that's where we'll be. It's a, it's a wonderful little letter. It's just, just four short chapters uh, and as in any letter, if you've ever written a letter, some of you young people are like, I've never written a letter in my life. Well, for those of us who may be a little more seasoned, we did. It's just a nice thing to do every now and then. Hey, it's the Christmas season. Grab a card, grab a pen, and write somebody something nice. But as we know, a letter has a point and a purpose. There's a point and a purpose, and through each, every one of, uh, of the epistles as you go through, you can see that there's a, a point and a purpose to it. And what we find is such encouragement in the book of Colossians, because what we see as a focus is Christ is preeminent. Preeminent as in saying what? He is first and foremost in all things. Christ is first and foremost in all things. We are, as we are rooted in him. We are alive in him. Our lives are hidden in him, and what we see ultimately is that we are complete in him. We are complete in Christ. All we will ever need, brothers and sisters, you find in Jesus. All you're ever going to need, you're going to find in him. You will lack Nothing. Nothing. And in this letter, we have the encouragement, but there's a warning. There's a warning within this letter against false teachers, against those who would want to twist, who would want to pollute, or add to the purity of the gospel message. And so be thankful. Be thankful when you come here. And if you've been here for any length of time, you know that the word of God is going to be taught faithfully. What a blessing. What a blessing to know that you're actually going to need to open your Bible and follow along. The word is being taught faithfully. But the world around us, and we have it at our fingertips, don't we? It's right there. Lies, philosophies, 
and ideas that can distort and destroy our faith if we don't rest on the solid foundation which is Christ and his word. It's easy. It's right there. And I would dare to say that most of us, if not all of us, have known someone who has walked away from the Lord for some idea or some philosophy of life because they allowed the foundation to be shaken and influenced by the world. But when Christ has the preeminence in our lives, guess what? We cannot be shaken. If Christ has the preeminence in your life, you will not be shaken. And so what I'd like to do, it's gonna be a little different, is I want us to lay a foundation for this letter. It's kind of sort of an introduction to the letter, and then we're just gonna kind of look at the greeting because it's always good to kind of have that to refer refer back to. What's going on? What was happening in this time? There's 2,000 years that separate you and I from this letter and its writing, but yet it is still so applicable to you and I today. And so let's begin. Colossae. It was a city in Phrygia in Asia Minor. Where is Asia Minor? It's modern-day Turkey. It was a city that now today is in modern-day Turkey. If you research the history of this city, you will find that in 5 BC that it was at its height. It was a happening place. It sat in the Lycus Valley. That's where you find Laodicea. It's right there, and it's about 100 miles uh, east of Ephesus. And you can trace its history from the 5th century and going down through. Not in the Bible, but you can follow its history. And you'll arrive at it all the way to the book of Acts. But by the time we reach the time of the Apostle Paul, by the time we're in the book of Acts, what we find is Colossae is now just really a small village. It's just a small village. And what we need to understand, Paul was not the founder of this church. This was not one that he planted, but it was a direct outgrowth of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And so we learn about this ministry that happened in Ephesus in in Acts chapter 19, verse 10. And this is the time when Paul was ministering in Ephesus for about two years, and it says there in verse 10, all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Jews. In Greeks. So in that time of ministry, that two years of Paul, the message went forth and it reached Colossae, which then raises a great question, right? Who brought the gospel to Colossae? And the answer lies in the book of Colossians. And if you have your Bibles, open there. Chapter 1, verse 7, we learn that the truth of the gospel arrived there from Epaphras. Epaphras is also known as Epaphroditus. You can read about him. Paul has a glowing commendation about Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2. But here we find out he is the one who brought it. And in chapter 4, verse 12 of the book of Colossians, we also learn another small detail. And it says that Epaphras was one of them. Epaphras was one of them. He was from Colossae. And this is what I love. 
we can kind of put this story together of what happened. Epaphras was probably in Ephesus at some point in time. He heard the gospel, most likely from Paul, because we know he is also one of Paul's co-laborers. And what happened is his first order of business, what do we find out from him? I need to go back home and share the gospel with others. We learn what his heart is. When Christ grabbed a hold of his heart, he couldn't restrain it. And when Christ grabs a hold of our heart, we shouldn't be able to restrain it. That we're just like, wow, this thing, this gift that I've been given, the salvation that I have, I want to share it with others. And he there, man, I can just see him running 100 miles. I want to get home. I want to share with those that I love, my fellow countrymen. Amen. When we encounter Jesus, we should want to give it away to others. Now, we see this at different moments in the Bible, don't we? Remember Andrew, Peter's brother, when he met Jesus? What was Andrew's first order of business after he met Jesus? He's like, I need to go home and talk to my brother Peter. I want to tell him. He's like, we found the Messiah. He wanted to share Jesus with his brothers. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? She had an encounter with Jesus at the well. She's having this conversation. She's telling him everything about herself. And what does she want to do? She goes back and she shares. What happens when we encounter Jesus? We want to share him. They had encountered his forgiveness and his love, and they couldn't keep quiet. Are you quiet this morning? Does quietness mark your testimony for the Lord this morning? Or are you just like, I can't hold back. When I think about what Jesus has done for me, I want to share it with everyone around me. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ compels or constrains us Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Does the love of Christ compel you? Is that enough motivation to get out there? and do whatever the Lord has called you to do, are you compelled to share Jesus? And listen, we have the litmus test right in these verses in Corinthians. Do you realize that? I mean, it's real easy. The litmus test is, are you living for yourself or are you living for the one who died for you to rescue and redeem you? It's one or the other. Either we live for ourselves or we live for the Lord. There's no middle ground. There's no neutrality for Jesus. You're either for him, you're all in, or you're just living for you. It's an easy test. It's a pass-fail. It's just one thing. Who am I living for? And Epaphras encountered the Lord, and he said, I need to go home and share the wonderful news of the gospel. Listen. The message is easy. The gospel message is easy. It's a sweet message. And here's the thing. This is an easy time of year to share Jesus, isn't it? It's Christmas. 
It revolves around him. I mean, listen, as believers, we're given two gimmies a year, Christmas and Easter. Those are your gimmies. You should be able to share Jesus around Christmas. And Christmas also affords different opportunities that we don't always have because a lot of times we have people in our home, friends and family members that we don't see all the time, that we know don't know the Lord, and there's an opportunity just given to you because it's in your home to share them. Share them. It's a wonderful message. It's a message of hope. Do you flip on the news today and go, it's going to be hopeful today, I know it. We don't. We look at the news to see what is happening, what awful thing is going on. We have a message of hope. We have Jesus. And what we see is, out of that, the faithfulness of Epaphras that a church is born in Colossae. Paul didn't plan it. And we're actually not even sure if he ever visited it. He may not. Just some of the wording, as we'll see when we go through the book, we're not sure if he's actually been there. And so Epaphras brought it home. And do you know what else we can draw encouragement from in this? Is God does not just use the mighty. Sometimes we're like, it had to have been a work of Paul. God does not just use the mighty. He doesn't just use the most educated. He doesn't just use the most financially secure or the most influential to start a new work. What does the Lord use? He uses the willing. The Lord uses the willing. He used a person who was surrendered to him and who was obedient to do what he was called to do. Are you being faithful and obedient to what the Lord has called you to do? Do you know that as a believer, you have a calling? Every one of us has a calling. It's not just a select few. They are not just the elite that are called. Everyone is called. And sometimes we can ask ourselves, like, well, what can I do for the Lord? What could I possibly do for the Lord? If you're willing, look at Epaphras. If you're willing, if you're submitted to his will, and if you're walking in obedience, guess what you can do? Anything. You can do anything that the Lord calls you to do because he's in it. And never minimize, never minimize what you think the Lord is calling you to do. To do. Don't look around. Never minimize you know why? Because we learn in Philippians that it is a high and upward calling. And I love what F.B. Meyer says about that. If it's a high calling and an upward calling, it's a high calling because it came from God, not from man. Whatever the Lord has called you to do for his kingdom and for his glory, do it. That's the opportunity that's laid before each and every one of us. Ain't Epaphras? Heard the gospel? fell in love with Jesus, ran home, shared it, and the fruit of that was a church was born. God wants to do wonderful things in and through your life. Be encouraged. He doesn't just rescue and redeem us, which is fantastic. He also wants to continue to use us. That's wonderful. 
It's not us just sitting twiddling our thumbs waiting to breathe our last breath so we could be in heaven. He wants to do something with you and I until we breathe our last breath. What opportunity has the Lord laid before you? Philippians 2, 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Couple that with Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works for which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's all of us. All of us who are in Christ. Are you walking in the wonderful works that God has prepared for you? Are you walking in them? And as we walk in the works, what does it say there in Philippians? Actually, it brings him pleasure. Does that not, I mean, that, for me, I'm just like, really? Me walking in what the Lord has called me to do brings him pleasure. We can please the creator of the universe when we walk in the works that he has prepared for us. And here's the simplicity of all of that. You will never be disappointed to follow the Lord wherever he leads you. The life that follows the Lord, wherever it may go, never leads in disappointment. When you walk in the will of the Lord, you have such peace. You can rest in it. Your eyes are in the Lord. It never leads to disappointment. It's an incredible journey what the Lord wants to do with your life. You don't know where it's going to lead. If you would have asked me 15 years ago and said, hey, Jamie, do you think your adventure with the Lord is going to lead you overseas? You'll have to learn another language, which that's a whole other animal in and of itself. You're going to pastor a church in another language. You're going to do all these things and be able to do that, come back and do all this. I'm like, no way. You never know where the Lord is going to lead your life. It's an adventure. It's wonderful. And there's no disappointment in that. Following God's will for your life is never disappointing. Seek him. Seek what he has for you. Let's keep moving. So the church has been established But there seems to be some outside influence that has begun to distort the purity of the gospel. And there's a heresy that's begun to threaten the message. And that threat was Gnosticism. Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And what happened was there were those that claimed to have a special spiritual knowledge or understanding of the deep things of God, the spiritual elite. Which right there, just when we think of the spiritual elite, we have an issue because Jesus came for everyone, not just the spiritually elite. But one of their main schools of thought, and we're not going to get deep into this. If you want to read about it, go for it. But... I want you to understand what's going on. One of their main schools of thought is how do we account for the existence of evil if God is a holy creator? And they drew a conclusion because they're the spiritually elite and their conclusion was all matter is evil. All matter is evil. 
And then this began to lead them in two different directions. First, because the flesh was evil, that they needed to separate themselves from it to avoid further contamination. So this group would have held a rigid list of rules and regulations, which just simply began to be another form of bondage and legalism. And then we have the other camp that decided to go in the completely opposite direction. And they said, well, since the body is evil, there isn't any further indulgence or immoral practice that would have any serious consequence. So live as sinfully as you want to. It was just a free for all. But the greatest heresy that had the potential to destroy the church was because the body is evil, Jesus' human nature was in appearance only. And he died on the cross in appearance only, not in reality. And that would destroy and rock the foundation if that began to be the teaching. Because he came to dwell among us. Because he came in human flesh. He understands everything that you and I go through. He understands our humanity. He understands the sting of death because he was fully man and fully God. So Epaphras sees this threat coming in and around the church, and so what does he do? He makes a trip to Rome. If you look at a map, Rome is not just right next door. That's a thousand mile trek. So it should give you an indication of what's happening is pretty important and needs to be dealt with. So he makes a trip to Rome to visit the Apostle Paul, who's really easy to find because he's in prison. Easy to find somebody. I know right where to go. So he goes, he tracks down the Apostle Paul, and he gives him a report of what is going on in the church in Colossae. And upon receiving the news, Paul puts the pen to the paper and he writes this letter. And as we go through the letter, it's easy to see that most of the news about the church is good news. It's good news. He's writing to a group of believers who are growing and what we find in the majority, he wants to encourage them. But he also takes the opportunity to warn them and to guard them against the attack of the false teachers. And what I love is Paul's approach to dealing with the false teachers that are in this community. He doesn't go, listen, if they say this, you say that. If they do this, you need to do that. Because a lot of times they're like, just tell me what to do and that's what I'm going to do. Tell me how I handle it. Do you know what he does? Paul, his solution is simply to captivate them with the truth of the gospel and the truth of who their Lord and Savior really is. That's what he's doing. They're not like, hey, Paul, should we overcome this heresy by a heated debate? And he goes, no, what you need to do is just know Jesus better. Isn't that wonderful? Just know Jesus better. If you know Jesus better, if you know what you have in him, then guess what? The world's ideas become easy to ignore. If you know the word of God, 
If you know who Jesus, your Lord and Savior is, that loves you, that died for you, that rescued and redeemed you, it's easy to ignore what the world's trying to offer because you know him well. And Paul establishes in this letter that Christ is the image of God, that Christ is the preeminence over all creation, over, over the church, and that he's superior to every power in the universe, to every believer. In him is all the fullness that dwells. There is absolutely nothing that we may need or that we may seek that we cannot find in Jesus. In him is all the wisdom and knowledge made available to who? To all of his people. It is in Christ and through his sacrifice on the cross that God and man have been reconciled. And you want to know what? Up to this point, we have barely made it through chapter one. That's what Paul covers. Isn't that wonderful? He just wants us to know Jesus and know him better. He wants us to know what we have in Jesus. And this is what we come into. Do you know your Savior? And when I say that, do you really know him? Not, yes, I know Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship, a living, vibrant relationship with your Lord and Savior? And if you're saying, man, Jamie, I'm not, I'm not completely sure, get into your Bible. Get into your Bible. Start moving through a gospel. Look at the life of Jesus. Start moving through a gospel and get to, the, get to know the one who knows you and loves you. That's how we do it. The solution is simple, my brothers and sisters. You need to know him. You need to know him. And that knowledge should produce in every one of us as believers godly living and a godly life. That's what it should be producing. And that's what Paul tackles at the end in the last couple of chapters of Colossians. A godly life and godly living. I love what one commentator commentator says about this. He says, what we believe determines how we behave. That's simple. What we believe determines how we behave. And it's so true. Your belief system is going to shape your actions. It's going to shape how you speak. It shapes your thought. And then that's going to shape, inevitably, how you interact with one another. Well, in AD 61, Paul set down his pen and he passes this letter to Tychicus. Epaphras stayed a little longer with him in Rome because Paul wasn't going anywhere, so it made it easy. And he passes that letter and it's delivered to the church in Colossae. And another thing that I love is that there is no church too small that the Apostle Paul does not have a heart to help. There's no church too small. Paphras wasn't showing up going, hey man, I got a mega church that's on the verge of collapse. Help me with it. He's like, I just got a little fellowship in a village. This is what's happening. And for Paul, he's like, that's enough. 
Do you love the body of Christ enough? Do you love one another enough to be involved individually? Well, let's go ahead and move into our text. Hopefully that's laid a small foundation of what was happening then. And let's just look at the greeting in Colossians. Chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What I love is that most likely Paul hasn't met any of these believers, maybe a handful of them, but most likely none of them. And yet here in these first two verses, he knits their lives together. Do you see what he's done? He goes, Timothy is our brother. God is our father. And Christ is our Lord. He says, we're a family. We're a family. Brothers and sisters, we're a family. And the family has a responsibility to help and take care of one another when times are difficult and struggling. We have, it's a privilege to be able to do that. That we're involved in one another's lives. Family doesn't function when it's all separated and apart and nobody wants anything to do with each other. We have to be involved with one another. And Paul makes it clear here. He's like, listen, maybe we've never met face to face. I sure hope one day we have the opportunity to do so. But I love you because we're a family. I care about you. I care about what's going on. We need to love one another. We need to be involved in one another's lives. And this is just a sweet reminder for me that we are a family. Listen, we're in a spiritual race, in a spiritual battle together. And there are times that soldiers and people get tired. And we have the privilege to come alongside one another and help one another through those moments. And Paul sees here, he's like, hey, these guys need spiritual guidance. And he didn't only have the authority, because he states it, the apostle Paul, he states his apostleship. But he's not just doing this on his authority. He's actually doing this from a heart of love. And that's the reason why he wants to do it. He's knitting them together even though they've never met. And then he goes on in verse 2 to say, and to the saints, and saints could be translated as holy ones and faithful brethren in Christ. And again, just another simple reminder to all of us in Christ that we are saints, holy ones. And if we're holy ones, the idea behind that means that we are been, have been set apart. That we have been set apart. And listen, the idea of being set apart is twofold. There's two parts to being set apart. First, we've been set apart by God in Christ. That was the first part. The second part is that we have been set apart for God. We've been set apart for him. We belong to him. That the life of surrender and obedience should mark how we live. 
And how can we not live for him when we look at all he has done for us through Christ? How can we not? How can you not just take a moment and look at the cross? If you're wondering, I mean, just look at what Jesus did. You can't look at the cross and just go, well, if there was only something more. (laughs) There's no way. He laid down his life for you to rescue you and redeem you and give you new life. How can we not? Look to the cross. And he ends his greeting just simply with the grace and peace. And the source of that grace and peace is truly from God and God alone. And that grace he has freely given to us has brought us the ultimate peace to our lives. What has the peace of God given us? It's given us rest for our souls. That's really what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. Not rest for the moment like taking a nap. Rest for your soul. True rest. So as we close... Just a few things, just to ponder, just to think about. Are we sharing the gospel? The message is simple. It's not complicated. Jesus came. He lived. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again. It's a simple message. Are you sharing the gospel? Has the love of Jesus captivated your heart to say, I need to find someone and share them with them. Has Jesus captivated your heart? Again, we have the good news. It's the good news. And are you willing to be used? Are you willing to be used? Do you know God wants to use you as you, right where he has you? That's awesome. He's not trying to change you. He wants to use you as you. That's a wonderful thing. Let him use you as you, wherever he has you. And point people to him. And we need to come to the place where we can simply say, Lord, whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want to do it, and wherever you want me to go, I'll do it. Because as it says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, I have been bought with a price so that my life may glorify and honor the Lord. You've been bought with a price. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. And Father, may it just... Really settle into our hearts, Lord. You've rescued us, you've redeemed us, you love us, and you want to use us. And Father, just ignite a fire in our hearts for you, for the gospel, for the lost. Lord, that we're willing to share you whenever and wherever. Father, that, we, it, that it can't be restrained. Lord, that we have to share. It's just a burning within us because we want the world to know that you came and that you love them. And Father, give us willing hearts. 
Lord, help us not to be focused on just a lot of times our own life circumstances or situations that are going on, but Lord, help us to set our hearts and our minds upon you and your leading and your guiding for our lives. Lord, give us willing, willing hearts. And Lord, if things have creeped into our lives that need not be there, Lord, give us the strength, give us the desire to remove them that we may serve you wholly and completely as you've called us and wherever you've called us. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for rescuing us. Lord, lead us. And we ask it in your name. Amen.